Welcome to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Sarah Hall here. I am a certified health and wellness coach, athletic trainer, mom, and breast cancer survivor. I help women overcome their own mind drama to make mind shifts that open up the possibility for their most empowered and energetic life. And I am Beth Wilmus, author, speaker, and founder of a human investment organization, otherwise known as a nonprofit called Faith Through Fire. Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms. Oh my gosh. Okay. We're behind. Yes. Bad accident. Totally bad accident. Bad bad accident. We're a little bit behind, so yeah. we're going to jump right in. Yeah. Today's episode, we're going to sh- it's going to kind of shed a light on two different things. The importance of knowing and providing a detailed health history and the importance of advocating for yourself. I mean, we're always talking about advocating for yourself, so we advocating. are advocating. <laughs> I got to catch my brain up to what we're doing. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, it keeps showing up over and over again as to why that's important. Yeah. We're yes. we're also always talking about individualized care, mm-hmm. which got me thinking, can you think of a time when you've seen a traditional medical practitioner and they've walked through your entire medical history with you, including like your mental health? Oh. No, nobody that's ever included my mental health. I mean, I've had providers slow down and like really explain things really well to me. And I've really appreciated that. But nobody's ever been like, you know, tell me how this is impacting other areas of your life. They usually stay focused and stay in their lane. So what about you? You're talking about the mental health side. I've never had a traditional medical doctor actually ask me about my whole medical history in a visit. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? No, because usually you fill out that like one pager before and they apparently glean everything they need to from that don't you think yeah it's like what's your current medications what's going on with you in that immediate moment not yeah. like your entire medical history and yeah in term- I, I think that's interesting because it kind of plays into our guest today so today as part of our medical skepticism series we are talking to Angela a breast cancer survivor who was misdiagnosed with stage four breast cancer and she wanted me to add she's a self-proclaimed awesome advocate for happiness survivor Oh, okay. There you go. I like that. I like that. So first, we're going to be talking to Angela about her original breast cancer diagnosis. Yeah. Then we're going to talk about when she was told her breast cancer had metastasized to her spine and she was stage four. And then finally, we're going to talk to her about her reluctance to believe the diagnosis and how she took her care into her own hands and ultimately found out she wasn't metastatic after all. So interesting. So interesting. Okay. Before we talk to Angela, let's hear from our first sponsor. Thriven is a proud sponsor of Faith Through Fire. Thrivent believes money is a tool and not a goal. The Gateway Financial Group with Thrivent is local to the St. Louis area and can work with you to create a financial strategy that reflects your priorities and helps you protect the things that matter to you, like family and giving back. Please call 314-783-4214 to schedule a free consultation with one of Thrivent's Gateway Financial Advisors. All right. Welcome, Angela. Thanks for being here. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, let's start with how you found out you had breast cancer. You found a lump about a month after you turned 40, right? Yes. I found a lump, but I I actually suspected that I had an issue. The shape of my breast was a little different. I went to my well woman appointment. I let my doctor know. My doctor at the time, she felt she did a breast exam. She said she didn't feel anything. Everything was supple, noted it up in my my chart and told me to go for my soon-to-be 40th birthday mammogram. Okay. Is that is that what you did? Is that how they found the breast cancer? Oh, no, not at all. 
Okay. So I scheduled the exam while this was going on, even though I, I felt like something was off, but I didn't know what it was. I went to another doctor because my, I, you know, I work out quite a bit. And so I went to see my doctor for my back because, you know, I was lifting quite a bit and she gave me some cortisone shots in my back. Within eight hours, I saw what was, con- what made the shape of my breast look different. I saw the lump. Oh, oh, interesting. interesting. Oof, look Ooh. at that. Yes. Plot, plot yeah. twist. A yeah. cortisone shot changed the shape of your breast to where you could actually visibly see the lump that your previous doctor could not feel. Interesting. Correct. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you see the lump mm-hmm. and you're like, now I want this mammogram. Oh, yes. I, I was pushing even more. I had scheduled for my mammogram prior to this. Uh, it had been canceled because I did it on a Saturday. I was trying to get it on a Saturday. It was canceled due to staffing had COVID. And so I kept getting rescheduled. At this point, I, I was pushing to get it sooner, but everybody kind of warned me, oh, you know, don't go off the deep end, right? Mm-hmm. It could be anything. It's not uncommon. And so from September till November, I had to wait. And to November, I had my mammogram. Do you know what I think is interesting is like, I, I was told the same thing when I felt a lump, like you're young, mm-hmm. it's probably nothing. But the bottom line is, is that all of the data and statistics are showing now that the incidence of breast cancer in younger women, it's like increasing. 40 and below, is increasing exponentially. Yeah, but and we're still kind of brushed off. We're brushed off. And yeah. so I think it's so interesting that all these young women, and we deal with a lot of them in mm-hmm. Faith Through Fire, are being told like, oh, it's probably nothing. And it's yeah. like, mm. Yeah. In our experience, not the case. Right. Okay. So, so in November, you ended up having your, your mammogram, but then you got your official diagnosis in January? Correct. Okay. Because in November, the site that I was concerned with, they were not even calling out. They were calling out the other breast. Oh, interesting. So they wanted to do a biopsy on the other side. And I, again, advocated for myself and said, no, I need you to look at the other one. Wow. And... Yes. So the lady who was doing the ultrasound, she went ahead and put the, you know, she did the ultrasound of the other breast and she put it down. She goes, let me go ahead and talk to the doctor. She ran out, talked to the doctor, came back in. She goes, yeah, we'll look at both. So that's when she looked at both. Mm. On the other side, they didn't find anything. On the side that I was concerned about, after they did a biopsy, mind you, the biopsy they couldn't do until January. So I had the ultrasound and... In January, I had the original mammogram in November, so I kept this all quiet for my family. Didn't say anything at Thanksgiving or Christmas. I even went to a funeral in January. I had the biopsy, had everything done in the first week of January. By the second week of January, I found out I had breast cancer. How how did that feel keeping that quiet? Were you anxious that entire time or were you kind of like, it's probably fine? How did you feel and why did you decide to keep that to yourself? One, I didn't want to ruin the holidays for my family, but two, I decided to keep to myself because my dad's mom died of breast cancer Mm -hmm. and so I didn't want to bring back feelings that he you know that could stir up something for him if uh, you know if it really wasn't breast cancer was that hard for you to carry that burden by yourself I personally made sure that every part of the holiday that you know for Thanksgiving and Christmas was even more so family oriented than in the past we always played games and things of the sort during the holidays but I made sure more people were there they were present you were already kind of thinking ahead to how you wanted yeah. to really. Mm, mm-hmm. Interesting. So you were diagnosed yeah. in January, but you didn't have surgery until May. Was this COVID related? 
Because it feels um, like so, there's so many months in between each of your steps. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. The January was diagnosed. I did change. The original breast surgeon I met, we didn't click. So then I went to another. When I met with this breast surgeon, I originally told her my intent on what I wanted to do, what procedure I wanted. When I first met her, we found out my oncotype at the same session because the other provider, we had already done the testing. This is where I went to go schedule, but they wanted me to look into chemo first. My oncotype type was low enough to where I was so borderline. They originally did a lumpectomy in March. Okay. So they did, they did a lumpectomy in March. Okay. And they missed clear margins by half a millimeter. So you got diagnosed in January. You had your first lumpectomy in March. They didn't get clear margins. They went back in in May. In May. They went back in in May, correct. Okay. And then after that, you essentially, so you were stage two at that point, correct? When I was originally diagnosed, I thought stage one. Uh After we did the lumpectomy, do that, (laughs) that half millimeter ended up being stage two. And then they found something. They found it made it to lymph nodes, just didn't ever leave there. So I had some lymph node involvement. So then they made me stage two, correct? Okay. So you land on stage two. They start telling you what your treatment plan is going to be. And at some point in this journey, you end up having a full MRI. Yeah, we had a PET scan. So I was I was a little upset at the fact that we didn't have a clear margin. Mm -hmm. So I had met with my oncologist she went ahead and ordered a PET scan. She ordered this PET scan to kind of look for cancer in other parts of your body, which is sometimes Correct. what providers do. And so I want to talk about what that PET scan showed. But before we do that, let you guys want to do boobs in the news? Let's do it. Okay. Angela, you want to do boobs in the news with us? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. All right. Awesome. Boobs in the News is a fun segment where we read funny tweets by real people or ridiculous news stories. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. All right. So this, I don't know where this, oh, this came from the UK news, which we actually get a lot of our stories from the UK news. So I don't know if there's just silly people over there. I just, they really enjoy. I think they um, have a better sense of humor. They report out on funny stories and unusual happenings more than we do. Okay. So I almost don't want to give off the the title of this because then it'll kind of give the whole punch punch away. But there's a man, I want to see if you can guess this. There's a man referred to as the Easter Bunny by police. Mm. He's been sentenced to 18 months in prison for... Stealing, stealing almost 200,000 Cadbury cream eggs. Hmm. I mean, at this point, everybody steals everything, so... I know, but can you imagine, first of all, what season of the year was it? It was probably early spring. Like, was it warm enough for him to steal 200,000 eggs without them melting? <laughs> and... You want to know how much prep went into this. Like, right, I want to know... a deep freeze in right. the back Did of the he car? just, like, pull up with, like, a big well, truck? What's the, like, what's how the, much space does the, this take? What's the title say? Okay, so the title just says, Man Stole 200,000 Cadbury Cream Eggs, and he's jailed for 18 months. Okay, this is... Who did he steal them from? Well, various probably various establishments. He sold them from, no, from one place, an industrial unit. When he like broke a into an, an industrial unit in Telford, he made off with the haul in a stolen lorry cab. What the heck is a lorry cab? I think it's a UK thing. Oh, okay. Well, it must be a big cab because I don't know how much space you need to store So this was like a manufacturing plant for Cadbury, it sounds, sounds like. Sounds like it. Or so, at least a, a storage site. So here, here's where I'm going to suppose some things. Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess that he's a disgruntled employee of said factory. <gasps> oh. You don't think he's just like that person who every time Easter comes around, they jones for a cream egg? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is quite the addiction. 
I mean, that's a <laughs> Sarah's going 200,000 eggs. I mean, how many eggs do you have to eat in a day? Well, so I think it's funny that you're lying for like substance abuse problem with like Cadbury <laughs> eggs. And I'm saying disgruntled employee. Angela, do you have a do you have a theory on this? On um, what's prompting this Cadbury egg keeper? You know, he could be a competitor. <gasps> oh, Willy Wonka, oh, that stuff. Oh, man. What's it could be? What was the name of the guy that was in Willy Wonka that was always trying to steal the recipe? Oh, I, good oh, lord! Come geez. on, come on, you guys! Bring me back to childhood. Come on, you guys! Uh, no. what was All I remember name? is the oh, golden ticket. It was ticket. like it was not not Squidworth. That's SpongeBob. Who was it? <laughs> oh, Slugsworth! Geez. Slugsworth! Slugsworth! Mr. Slugsworth was always trying to steal Willy Wonka's oh, well, recipes. How I don't do you think guys that, not know this. I don't think that was his name. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe that's just like I remember like the gigantic blue kid who eat who ate too much, and then I remember the that was the golden ticket. Like yep. I don't remember that part of the oh. plot. <laughs> Well, guess who's guess who's watching Willy Wonka? The yeah, original, the original, I need not to brush the jelly. Up on my Willy yeah. Wonka facts. Yep, not the Johnny Depp version. Okay, well there you go. There's your boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. All right, Angela, and we're back. So you have a PET scan, and that comes back, and you are told that there is a mass on your spine, and your doctor immediately went to a stage four breast cancer diagnosis. Is that right? Uh. Yeah, so there was a slight uptick. They said it was just, it was right around inflammation and it caused concern. And she said generally when they saw this, it meant that, you know, it wasn't as high up as it would call out a cancer, but it was enough that she was concerned. So before I left that room that day, they had already updated my chart as metastatic. Now, was this, so, you know, Faith or Fire was kind of walking you while you were going through this. It was crazy. It was just emotionally exhausting for me. So I can only imagine like what it was like for you. But I remember, is this when you were talking about where the resident was swinging her feet on the table? Yes. <laughs> as they're telling. So, oh. so your doctor is like telling you that that she's feeling pretty concerned that this is metastatic breast cancer. And I remember you telling me like the resident was sitting there on the table swinging her feet like it was no big deal, just kind of nodding her head casually. Yes. Like your whole world wasn't falling apart at that point. Was that? Yes. How did that? That's exactly that <laughs> moment when I was essentially being told that as if it was metastatic, I would have, you know, a couple years at most seven, you know, she was just telling me all these things. I said, well, what can you do? And they were like, well, nothing in your palliative at that point. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? I, you know, I have all, I have my kids. I have, you know, I have life to live. Right. Mm -hmm. And this young lady is sitting there on the patient table, just swinging her legs, nodding her head up and down like a little kid that got candy at the candy store. I think that's interesting that that stayed with you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That it's part of your story because I think it illustrates, and at least this is how I felt about it. I'd be curious what you think, but it's like it illustrates all the little micro traumas Mm -hmm. that occur. That was a pretty macro trauma. I mean, that was a big pivotal moment in your journey when you got that news. But I think it's so interesting that this woman shows up in your story because it's so traumatic anyway. And then when it's handled with kind of this cavalier attitude Mm -hmm. and really, I mean, if we were going to be very kind, it's probably they probably deliver that news all the time. Mm -hmm. And there's a little bit of compassion fatigue there. But I just think it's so interesting that that became part of your story because it 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 meant something to you and it kind of wounded you. Yeah, it hurts, right? This is my life. And it's not a sitcom. And you're looking at this individual, it's almost like, do you need a hand over popcorn? (laughs) I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. So your mind immediately because you've already up until this point kind of been advocating for yourself, right? Like there's 
You're advocating about what surgeon you want. You're advocating for, no, look at this breast instead of that breast. You're advocating for, I want to move up this timeline. So your mind immediately starts searching for an alternate possibility, which I think is probably a pretty normal response, right? How could this be happening? What else could it be? And you mentioned that you had an injury to your spine when you were younger. Mm -hmm. And and how was that received? Like, what was that? What was that response? Yeah. So when she told me the vertebrae that they were looking at, I said, no, I've, I've, I've had a you know, x-rays and MRIs in the past before they showed that I had this, you know, back in my twenties and, you know, I was in a car accident and that's how I found it. And it was nothing, right. I, I did decompression and I went on with my life. Fast forward to now, they're like, well, wait a minute, if you can find that, that's great. And so we had these conversations, but yet they still updated my chart with metastatic. Yeah, because yeah, they were asking you for medical records from something back in your mm-hmm. 20s, which most of us don't have our yeah. medical records from back in our 20s. So mm-hmm. it was like, yeah. well, if you can show us evidence of this, then we'll consider it. But otherwise, we're going to just move ahead with the metastatic diagnosis. And at mm-hmm. this point, you insisted on a biopsy, right? Because they were not going yes. to biopsy you. They were just going to start you on a protocol for a stage four breast cancer patient, which is maintenance yes. chemotherapy. To Palliative sl- care. Yeah, yeah, maintenance therapy to slow the progression of the disease. So there was no talk about a biopsy. They they were going to jump to medication and you said, no, 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 I want a biopsy, correct? Yeah, correct. I said, no, I, I just don't feel like it's that. And I go, can we look at it? Can we biopsy? Can we do something? And she's like, well, we can. So mind you, this is in March. She goes, well, we can, but left it, right? So I make it all the way to my surgery in May. And, you know, I still hadn't had a biopsy. I, two days after I... Right after surgery, I was told that they can go ahead and biopsy it. So two days after I had the second surgery, they went ahead and biopsied it. And that now, wasn't you, that wasn't like a simple biopsy either. Oh no, 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 no <laughs> because they tell you you can't lay down on your chest or anything like that or on mm-hmm. your side. And I had to do both. And you, with your second surgery, you had a lumpectomy the first time, but then the second time you had a single mastectomy, right? Yeah, I had a single nipple sparing mastectomy. Okay, so you had to be careful with that side. It wasn't mm-hmm. like they did another lumpectomy. You had taken that breast. And so here you were Correct. needing to not, you know, lay on your stomach. And mm-hmm. But they did the biopsy at your request, which I can't believe they weren't going to do, honestly. Like, I'm shocked by that. And I just think that it's really important to note here. There's like, there's so many factors at play. There's you advocating for yourself. But then there's also like what's going on inside of you, this weight. And then like you're dealing with what the information they told you. And the, the way that they told you, but also the intuition feeling that you're having that like this is not connected. So there's mm-hmm. like so much push and pull just happening just with. I mean, you. we just know we just know what this was like for you emotionally. And I think I mean, honestly, so given, heavy, given everything that you've been through. I mean, Sarah, and I think you handled it as best you could. You were a totally. champion, but it was so freaking heavy and up and down and insane. So now they're telling you, OK, not breast cancer, but spinal cancer. And they want to talk about the procedure that they recommended to address this, because that's, to me, like shocking, too. Yeah. So originally, honestly, when they came back, so I'll tell you, the results popped up in my my chart and then they went away. And then so I followed up for three more days on top of that. And then finally, they called me back at 6 p.m. and they let me know it's not breast cancer. So they put me back down in staging. Then I get a second call back that same evening to say, well, it actually is a bone cancer. Then they had me follow up with a specialist for the spine that said he was a specialist in this particular one. Very, very slow growing is what they said. So 
I met with them and the surgery that they wanted to do is, it's called an in-block resection. So they essentially are going to remove the vertebrae. But to remove that vertebrae, they have to replace it with something. They were actually going to take the femur out of my leg. They use that bone to replace the vertebrae. Wow. That's in- I can't even wrap my head around how difficult that surgery is or all the complications that could result from that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit because you were like, um, no. <laughs> you, <laughs> I'm not doing that. You were like, this is crazy. So you go out of town and you get a second opinion. And the short story here is that after you go through all the trouble of finding another specialist, one that's prominent in the country, and you travel at your expense to go see them and you go through all their testing, you find out that this is a benign, non-cancerous bone tumor on your spine and requires nothing other than vigilance to make sure that it doesn't grow or affect your quality of life. Is that is that accurate? Correct. I, I actually went to two outside facilities at two different times, and they both agreed. They were actually specialists in the, the cancer that they said I had. They were well-known specialists for that type of cancer, and they both came to the same conclusion. I, Ugh, what a relief. I mean, yeah, what a, I mean, well, we were there. We were there. Yeah. And it was like cheering and crying. Mm-hmm. And, and I was so proud of you for advocating for yourself to that degree, because honestly, what scared me the most, Angela, about your story is the knowledge that most people would not have done that. Yeah. Most people would not have done that. And it it's really terrifying to me. And that's why we're always telling people, do not stop. Get a second opinion. Make sure you hear alternate you know, opinions. You may have the same course of treatment, but mm-hmm. just... Just do that. So has, your story would have been so different if you listened. Oh my god! Like if you hadn't listened oh, to your intuition. Oh my and, gosh! I mean, yeah. so different. Has this impact- yeah, my quality of life? Oh, yeah, my quality of life, everything, right? Well, yeah. and you're so you know. you're so active. I mean, take the emotional aspects of this out of it, mm-hmm. the trauma part of it. It's like you're so we know you. You're so active. What this would have done to you and your quality of life is just it can't be understated. Yep. So I I kind of want to know: Has this impacted your medical skepticism? Like, how do you feel after having gone through this firsthand? What has this done for you in terms of your medical skepticism? Oh, I I find myself to be quite the riot. Usually when I hear there's something that I'm not 110% of, I, I always count. I've always been an inquisitive person. And so I question more. I, I notice that when I do question and question more, it's not the favorite of most doctors. And I, I forewarn them, right? I forewarn them the type of patient that I am. I do have a lot of questions. It's not that I, I don't trust their knowledge. I just ask them to think outside the box. Mm. Trust, trust, but verify, right? Yeah. Trust, but verify. (laughs) So before you give your advice to those listening to this episode, let's go to our second sponsor. It's important to have a primary care doctor that you can count on. At BJC Healthcare, world-class and compassionate primary care providers are ready to see you at offices close to home. And you can count on BJC to make it easy with convenient online scheduling, virtual visits, and direct messaging. To find a BJC primary care provider near you and to schedule an appointment online, visit bjc.org forward slash primary care. And we are back. Angela, I thank you so much for sharing your story today because there is so much even that we couldn't even cover in this episode. And it's really an amazing story. But I want to hear what advice you have for anybody else kind of going down the similar path. Honestly, you know, it's the advocating, but it's be strong for yourself. You know who you are and you know how you feel. And if you don't speak up for yourself, I can't guarantee everybody else will. Mm -hmm. 
you are right in line with what Sarah and I always say, and you're a perfect example of why advocating for yourself is so critical in the medical journey. So thank you so much for being here and thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, guys. Until next time. See ya. Thank you for being a listener of the Besties with Breasties podcast. If this podcast had a positive impact on your journey, leave us a review or consider becoming a supporter. You can donate with the link in the show notes or at faiththroughfire.org. This episode was hosted by Sarah Hall and Beth Wilmus, audio and production edits by Innovative Frequencies. (laughs) 